Welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we pair compelling themes with some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week we are exploring the theme of identity in Harry Potter. Yeah. So to start us out, we have a quote. It is a very iconic quote from the first book of Harry Potter. And basically, Hagrid is talking to Harry. And Hagrid says... You're a wizard, Harry. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's what he said. (laughs) Thank you for that, um, Chris. You're welcome. (laughs) But yes, an iconic quote, to say the least. Yes. But definitely, I think, a quote that is is interesting when actually critically discussed and analyzed. Because there is, I think, something very powerful about this being how he's introduced to being magical. It's not that you have magic. It's not uh, something about what he has or something that he can do. But it's you are a wizard, which means that he's part of a community. He has an identity in a way that he didn't have or that was denied to him for the majority of his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's not just because like, oh yeah, it's a famous line and it's, we know, (laughs) (laughs) but like, it's important because it's important for Harry. Mm -hmm. It's the first time a part of his identity that a part of his life himself that he didn't even know existed now he knows and now it makes a lot more other like a lot of other things in his life make more sense Mm -hmm. things that have happened to him things that he couldn't explain before and yeah that's powerful and i think it's really powerful for that age as Mm -hmm. well learning more about yourself and solidifying more things about your personality and how you understand how you're experiencing the world and yeah he's able to find out that he can be a part of this whole other community and escape some of the horrors of of his lived existence up until that point and that's huge and I yeah it's just it's a powerful moment I think too if you if you've ever had a time in your life where you've realized something that maybe you're like, oh, I can't believe I didn't realize this before. But it's like when the things click into place and you're like, oh, of course. Like, mm-hmm. And then you can find reassurance in that or power in that or resonance with other people in that. Yeah. And, and this is also an identity that he sought after for, that they are sending him letters. They are coming after him that they want him to be a part of. Whereas all of the kinds of identities that he's had up till then or aspects of his identity are things that he was ostracized for. Oh, he was the unwanted cousin. He was, I mean, he didn't know this, but he was, yeah, different like his parents and judged for that. Uh, At school, he was Dudley's cousin and Dudley bullied him and so no one else would be friends with him. Mm -hmm. There are all these ways that he was excluded and isolated because of those identities and because of those aspects of his life and now he's got one of people trying to include him, trying to build community with him. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also really interesting because in some ways it is a negative thing too, Mm -hmm. right? Because not that it is a negative thing but it results in negative things with his family then you know saying things that are anti-magic anti Mm -hmm. you know like trying to suppress that part of him now they 
uh, were abusive before, certainly. And so it, it gives him more context for that, which I could imagine hopefully would be helpful to some degree. But now they can more overtly hate him for something that he is um, in a way that they wouldn't name before. And in a way that sometimes probably hinders his education. You know, mm. his books are locked in the cupboard or, or whatever it is. Yeah, which I also appreciate how even at that age, Harry has so much sense of self that he is able to. He doesn't internalize that, but he, mm-hmm. he resists that and he stands up and he's confident in himself against their abuse, continued abuse. Um, and he feels more power yeah. knowing that he's a wizard. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, a funny quote, but, uh, you know, I think an, uh, an interesting the one. The identity quote. Exactly. <laughs> and just like it starts his journey, it's a good way to start our podcast. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for that transition, Chris. <laughs> so, why don't we move into what character you have to talk about? Sure. I wanted to talk about Severus Snape. Okay. Definitely a good character for identity. Yeah, the, the first thing that I was thinking about with Snape is just how the fact that he is a triple agent, essentially, yeah, means that on both sides, he's defined by an identity that is untrustworthy, mm-hmm. that is questionable, that is doubting his allegiance and doubting his intentions and doubting everything about him. In the nicest sense, or straight up as enemy. Yeah. In, in the most extreme senses. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I appreciate the scene at Spinner's End when Narcissa and Bellatrix confront him and question him and his loyalty to Voldemort and then do the, the Unbreakable Vow. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting seeing how he can't ever escape that in his life and it's something that he chooses to take on he chooses to take on a identity and a presence in the world that is only truly known by one person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. a person who he's not particularly friendly with who when they make their first deal looks down on him you know dumbledore i think gains respect for him particularly through this act of devoting his life to this really isolating lonely path but but not at the beginning definitely not at the beginning yeah yeah so i was just thinking about how how lonely that must have been for snape but then the more the more i thought about him the more i realized how his struggles with identity go back a lot further than that totally the half-blood prince is named for him and Mm -hmm. named for his struggle with identity where he is claiming that at least half of him is magical is not muggle-born mm-hmm and so, like Harry and Voldemort, he is struggling with half-blood status and what that means in this world. And he is an interesting middle ground between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Where Harry totally, yeah. is abused by muggles and yet remains someone who is magnanimous and loving to people regardless of their status. He would feel no need to have to say anything about his blood status. Exactly. Yeah. Voldemort only claims to be full blood. He denies Mm -hmm. his half-blood status and... Makes his whole movement about it. Exactly. Even though he himself experienced (laughs) awful magical (laughs) family. Awful magical family. And he just conveniently ignores the fact that 
he's not full blood mm-hmm. and changes his name yeah. to reflect that. Yeah. And then Snape, yeah, is kind of in the middle there where he he doesn't change his name. He's Severus Snape. He's named for his muggle father, but he creates this secret nickname not Mm -hmm. one that he changes his identity around but just one that he kind of puts for himself and i'm guessing the few around him but he is claiming yeah even then i'm the half-blood prince Mm -hmm. i am a prince even if i'm not a full-blood prince i am still a half-blood prince yet maintains great love for a muggle-born person as he is building relationships with people who become death eaters Mm -hmm. and are wildly racist and focused on pure blood status mm-hmm. and so yeah i think it's it's interesting seeing him kind of navigate in those worlds in a ways that are clouded and nuanced and imperfect mm-hmm. in both directions and i think it's it's a good reason why snape is so central to the series as a whole it kind of shows how even thematically he is really connected to the experiences that Harry goes through and Voldemort goes through as the main protagonist and antagonist in these very compelling ways. So yeah, I I thought that Snape was a a fascinating character to think about how identity has affected him and how he has sometimes struggled with his identity until he ultimately took on and accepted an identity that was nuanced to everyone else, but clear and difficult for him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also interesting that, like, because of the identity that the Death Eaters had, and he aligned himself with that group, at least for a time, that their identity in hating muggles and muggle-borns, you know, that came out Mm. in, in his interaction with Lily, at least at one time, and that changed a lot for him. Mm-hmm. and his life so yeah it, it's interesting to think about him as this bullied kid finding community with other terrible people mm-hmm. um, that were negatively Im- influencing him and him leaning into that and what would his what would he have identified with on the flip side you know yeah could there have been a potions club because there have been you know something that would have given him the power i i believe that he was seeking not only just for himself because we know that he is a slytherin and that he does like recognition and stuff but what i assume also is protection against bullies Mm -hmm. because you're a part of a group who also is probably bullying a lot of people right yeah so yeah it's just it's interesting questions because sometimes you do make decisions that impact not to say that people's identities are stagnant or locked in place or anything like that right like people Mm -hmm. change for the better or worse or they go back and forth between both all the time but in other people's eyes your identity might not change to them yeah yeah, and, and that can have lifelong consequences. Absolutely. Even if you have done things or continue to do things to warrant people's condemnation. Yeah. And, you know, that's a part of his identity that, I don't know, maybe he tried to hide the, his dark mark, right? Mm-hmm. None of his students knew, not that that's a good thing to advertise <laughs> as a teacher, but um, 
it was something he made a decision about when he showed Fudge. Yeah. Right. Well, why don't we move into your plot point? Yeah, so I kind of wanted to talk about side characters that are identified mostly by nicknames that are based on what others notice about them Hmm. and the labels that they put on them and I think are often kind of like reflect society in gendered ways as well. Hmm. So I'll go through some examples, but some patterns that I saw was like if they're men then it has something to do with their accomplishments or status and if it's women it's just like how others see them not what they've done but just oftentimes like incredibly random or negative things so i think you have a prime example with sir cadigan Mm -hmm. and he's just like such a golden example of toxic masculinity and savior complex and self-inflated ego (laughs) and he has sir as his title Mm -hmm. and then you have someone like the bloody baron so baron Mm -hmm. right there's status there bloody is not a positive thing but it's still there and he still benefits from that title through notoriety um it's intimidating mm -hmm. he's the only one that peeves is scared of right and, you know, I'm just like, what would that name, that nickname have been if he was a woman? Mm-hmm. I don't think it would be that. <laughs> yeah. And so I was also thinking about, you know, for example, Moaning Myrtle, mm. right? It's about her crying. The gray lady, who even knows why? <laughs> like, she has a name and she doesn't like that name. And then you have Nearly Headless Nick. So... It's trying to say, you didn't quite accomplish something, right? (laughs) It's like, you almost did. And so it's like a diss in a way, but it's still about something that there's this whole other group of ghosts that get to be a part of the headless hunt and, you know, have this status as a group that he is barred from. Whereas if Nick was a woman, I don't think it would have been nearly headless Nick. I think it probably just would have been headless Nick, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think it would just be like, oh, wow, she was beheaded, you know? So I I think that there are kind of gendered things coming in here. And the fat lady portrait is also a great example. And there's also the fat friar. Mm -hmm. But we can look at those two things and, like, the friar also includes like a job and interactions with the community and we don't know anything about this woman except that you're calling her fat right which potentially is body shaming if they call themselves that that's totally fine but but i'm guessing that's not what how she introduces herself (laughs) i mean we don't know what her name is we don't know anything about her and that's part of the point right and you even look at something like the heir of slytherin it's an air so it's this this elitist language mm-hmm. and also gendered as well yeah. and so i think it's it was just something interesting i noticed because there are all of these side characters that i mean like i i see the purpose in the books of of why like the utility of it as just like this easy identifier yeah. that like 
the reader automatically knows who's being talked about. For kids' books, you don't need a ton of proper names that, that might be confusing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of characters in the books. Oh, so for sure. I understand this, but I, I think it still what it does is you're giving these different characters sentience, but you're not really giving them personhood mm -hmm. because you know relatively nothing about them. Nearly Headless Nick and Moaning Merle, I think, are, those are the ones that you know the most about, but only because of mysteries that came up, really, or Harry feeling bad and go, <laughs> going to the death day party. <laughs> and so I, I think that it shows some things, something about the society um, and, and the wizarding society, but also, I mean, it's problematic, but I think it's reflective of the situation and, and I think it's really completely believable that kids would use and perpetuate and mm -hmm. likely create these types of nicknames because kids seem to do that all the time in really terrible and hurtful ways to each other. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, which we even see a little bit of, right, towards Luna, mm -hmm. um, who also, it's no surprise that Luna actually knows Helena Ravenclaw's name yep. and knows that she doesn't want to be called the Grey Lady. And I'm sure Luna doesn't like to be called Looney Lovegood either. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting that, yeah, there's kind of a pattern of this in some ways that is maybe slightly critiqued, like with Helena Ravenclaw, but then also not. Yeah, I, I think that chapter has always seemed so insubstantial to me mm -hmm. when they're dealing with so much else going on. The Battle of Hogwarts, all of these Horcruxes, and her story just feels so kind of slotted in and like... Maybe Rowling was like, oh no, I've done this problematic thing all this time. <laughs> Let's throw in a few lines to critique it. I, I have yeah, no idea. Possibly. But yeah. But yeah, I would always have loved to see more of that hinted at earlier or given more time then or, or something that's a little bit more than just kind of exposition dump and then horcrux mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah when you're talking at the one thing that kind of came to mind was all of our favorite characters mcgonagall hermione these other right characters yeah. who are often held up as kind of the feminist icons of the series who mm -hmm. are calling her the fat lady yeah well and that's the thing too they are introduced to mm -hmm. her by the prefect as this name. Yeah. And, and she's they don't 11. Think twice about it. So exactly. I can understand why <laughs> Hermione at 11 wouldn't necessarily be all like, why is she called the fat lady? I didn't either, either. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, exactly. It's, yeah. So, exactly. Yeah, it's showing how entrenched that is in the, the culture. And sometimes it can be covered up by the whimsy of the magical world of, mm -hmm. oh, talking portraits. Yeah. Um, and so they're already portraits, they're already not quite human, not quite mm -hmm. people. And so having those kinds of names for them or for ghosts can be, uh, they're, they're already dehumanized in a way. And mm -hmm. that by stripping them of a personal identity outside of the name that they're given by others, it further does that. Totally, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, should we move into our compelling questions? That was a great question. And yes, we should. <laughs> I don't know if it was a great question. It was a timely <laughs> question. So what do you have for me? I was wondering how you see possession interacting with the identities of certain characters in this series. Because we see, especially through Horcruxes, 
a number of characters either being outright possessed or experiencing some kind of symptoms of possession. And so I was wondering, yeah, how you saw different characters interacting with that in different ways. Yeah, that's interesting because you have Harry in book two be suspected because of him speaking Parseltongue, mm-hmm. which he got because of his Horcrux status, right? Yeah. He doesn't know that. No one knows that. But that makes people suspect him of being the heir of Slytherin. And so I think Harry's an interesting person for it because it's not really possession as much as it's i don't even know sometimes shared consciousness Mm -hmm. or exchange of something rather than possession because that's part of the kind of argument that he and jenny have in, in book five right where she was explaining that she just would black out and have no memory of, you know, whole chunks of time when she was being possessed. Whereas he was like, no, like, I'm fully awake. I can see things. Sometimes it feels like I'm, you know, in that case with the snake, it felt like he was inside the snake. He was the snake doing this thing. But he remembers every moment of it. And so by the time we get to that, he starts to really feel shame and Mm -hmm. fear about that and I think that that does change how he feels about himself in certain ways because before he would get flashes of this or that he would have pain in his scar or you know he he was even curious about these visions that he was getting yeah which is partially why he allowed them to continue or or didn't talk to anybody about it or tried to follow them (laughs) and find information um, as Harry does. <laughs> but yeah, then it was something for him to feel dirty about, for him to feel defiled or untrustworthy even to himself. Yeah, I see a few characters having that kind of fear and shame. I think Ginny experiences some of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, when she, yeah, wants to go to Percy and tell her that she's afraid that she's, you know, doing something wrong. And, and, and then I think Ron, when he is dealing with the necklace... He leaves, and when he comes back, it's clear how much shame he has over that that decision and the way he acted. So yeah, I think that that, that's an interesting way that a few people we see interact with it, of feeling that that shame and yeah, hair for Harry, that fear that he can't trust himself anymore, that he could hurt someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really kind of wonder how it affected Creature. Mm. Because he was with that thing for years, the locket. And... I cannot imagine that it in any way could have made his feelings of shame about not being able to do the last thing that Regulus had tasked him with um, after this person that he loved died for him, you know? Yeah, and then sitting with that thing for years that Ron couldn't even handle for a few months, you Mm know? Yeah, I wonder how, how Creature would have been prior to the locket entering his space wow i didn't even think about that yeah that's gotta be it must have been so impactful for for him and he was alone in that space for so long you know like they took it in shifts even though things were difficult it was miserable they felt hopeless in a lot of cases like they still had each other and they were best friends with each other and him after having lost everything and not even being able to like 
try to honor the person that you love's memory by doing the thing that they died for, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Creature. Creature. But I also then now am wondering if, not to take anything away from, I think, the compassion that Harry shows him when his story is told, but if he is more open to building a relationship with Harry after he no longer has the locket, if he Mm. no longer has a kind of negative... I mean, he was still pretty rude to Hermione. (laughs) For sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. But... Yeah, I just, I think that's an unanswerable question. Absolutely. But, um, an interesting one. Yeah, how much was he instilled with these pure blood racist ideas and how much was he was basically just in the house with Mrs. Black's painting yeah. and stuff and yeah. the locket. And the Yay, lock- yeah, exactly. That's going to be a great influence for a decade. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. I didn't think about Creature. It's, it's really interesting. Who else were you thinking about? I mean, definitely the, the characters that we mentioned. Uh, I think that having Harry, Hermione, and Ron share the locket is compelling because that locket seems to to find a vulnerability in Ron in dealing with his shame and be able to exploit it in a way that it's not able to with Harry and Hermione the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hermione in particular, we don't really see much outside of a, a irritability, but we don't see don't really. a intense engagement with I mean we all know Hermione's the strongest one of them totally but I think the other thing that was on my mind was how we never or we very very rarely see Harry without the Horcruxes influence on him it's really just the last couple chapters in the epilogue (laughs) totally so, so he's always dealing with the influence of it. Exactly. Yeah. And and what okay, that fine. means... Maybe Harry's the strongest. <laughs> but what that means for his personality, I think, is, is interesting because he is still such a compassionate person and he is someone who is not selfish. And yet he can have a temper on him and he can be judgmental and he can have these other kinds of elements. And, and I think that that could just be a fully fleshed out character and uh, an interesting, complicated character. But... Outside of giving him a, some abilities and a connection with Voldemort, where does this, or does this impact his personality and the way he engages with the world? Yeah. Um, and would its power have more and more of an influence on him as he has experienced more and more trauma mm, over time? You know, I don't know. As Voldemort gains strength, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It seems like that might very well be the case, but... Voldemort wasn't strong when the diary was able to completely possess Ginny. Exactly, so... Yeah, these are very interesting questions of how that, that engages yeah, with it, with their personalities. Um, and with Harry in particular, as someone who, when he was most aware of these connections, was fearful of it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, in the end, felt pity for the Horcrux that was in him and the bit of the soul mm. at King's Cross. Which is really interesting because... I think that does say something about Harry as a person as well, because would someone else have reacted the same way? Probably a lot of people would, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure that there would be some people, if they found these things out, would try to use it. Yeah. You know, would be like, this thing makes me stronger. That's a good thing. Yeah. How can I harness this? How can I grow this? You know, whatever it would be. And Harry does that for information, but not for power. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your compelling question for me? So my question is, what identities do you see put upon characters? And what identities do you see, like, those same characters hold themselves? Like, how they would identify themselves? Mm. Like, what others label them as or put the identity that they put on them versus the identity the person feels in themselves? Interesting. Hermione comes to my mind, in particular, Mm. with how she is often defined by her intelligence and success in classes, either as a know-it-all or as the brightest witch of her age. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in both cases, she is, yeah, kind of being put into a category. And she can react differently and, and feel differently about those labels based off of their intentions and how they're attacking or elevating her. Mm-hmm. But I think that her choice to create things like spew and to be a good friend and to do things outside of just being the best academic mm-hmm. in her class is emblematic that she has a lot more to her own identity than just what she is known for. She has many, many things that she's passionate about and many things that she is invested in. And that can exist alongside those labels and that kind of one path that she is really well known for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so even a simplistic thing like that kind of overlooks something like when they're in Devil's Snare and her <laughs> being like, there's no blood <laughs> to make a fire, you know? Or, yeah, her not necessarily seeing certain things or being too narrow-focused or whatnot. I mean, yes, she is the brightest student that we see. But even with that, it's not just simplistic because she's not that great at Defense Against the Dark Arts. She's not bad, but Mm -hmm. she's not the top. And she certainly wasn't as good at potions as Snape was. Yeah. Another character I I see get those kind of labels is, of course, Harry with the boy who lived, the chosen one, Mm -hmm. Uh, undesirable number one, (laughs) (laughs) you know, again, positive and negative (laughs) ways of of making him stand out and is marked literally by his scar to show everyone that even if they've never met him, he is this, this person who is known by everyone, even those who don't know him. Mm -hmm. And... Frankly, it makes it so few people do know him. It's hard for him to make friends. But yeah, but I think Harry is a character who's always frustrated by the things that are pushed on him by others. And the things that he seems to be expected to do when he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be famous. And then Gilderoy Lockhart comes along (laughs) and forces him into these kinds of things. And Colin Creevy. Uh, you know, from both sides, mm-hmm. he's getting that. And so him kind of pushing against that and trying to to be himself. And, and similar to what we're talking about with him in the Dursleys, of him having a sense of self that's strong enough to stand up for, no, this is what I'm doing. No, this is where I am, is another example of what a great character he is. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and he would be the savior of the world. But to himself, he would probably be like oh, great, I have to save the world again, you know? Like, he'll do it, or but I don't think he would be like, consider it that. My friend's in danger. Yeah. Can't let that happen. Yeah. But for me, and I, I 
sure I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the conversation with Dumbledore in which he hears the full prophecy and realizes and kind of comes to the realization that yes, Voldemort marked him. Yes, he's destined to fight him, but also he's destined to fight him because Voldemort did these things to him and he couldn't not do something. Mm -hmm. He couldn't stand down. He couldn't just let Voldemort do what he wants. He knows that not only does he have the power, but he wants to confront Voldemort. He wants to challenge him. And that, I think, is is so deftly done and such a compelling scene because it grapples explicitly with Harry's agency as a character and how he can maintain that agency even as prophecies exist in his world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His agency makes them true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Were there any other characters you were thinking of? Yeah, I was thinking about Luna. Mm. Because I think to others she would definitely have an identity of conspiracy theorist. But to herself, she would probably consider herself curious, a truth seeker, mm-hmm. someone who's not blinded to the <laughs> ministry's <Yeah>. plots. <laughs> um, and a critical thinker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people would also see her as a loner, mm. but she's a confidant. Like, that's mm. what she is to Harry, yeah. you know? And she clearly treasures her friends mm-hmm. with her mural. I know. Yeah, so I, I think she's she's an interesting one, too. Yeah. Um, I think Hagrid is also one, mm. you know, he, as soon as the half-giant thing is out there, you know, he would be suspect. People might just now only see him as giant and unintelligent blundering versus he would probably define himself as the lover of animals and other creatures as loyal um or even you know after that article came out and everything and being like i am who i am and i'm not going to be ashamed of that like so he sees himself i think much more as a well-rounded person whereas others don't see him that way they haven't seen him that way since he was expelled right um and i think ron is also kind of an interesting person Mm -hmm. because he would be labeled as a weasley just another weasley right yeah as poor as harry potter's best friend versus i don't know what identity he would have for himself Mm. because we rarely get to see that um we know from the mirror of Eris said what he would want to see himself as, but I don't know what he actually considers himself to be. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's it reminds me of the A Very Potter musicals third <laughs> third version of the Very Potter senior year when he sings a song about being a sidekick. Yeah. Um, and and it's kind of about him owning that in a way that he doesn't really in the books the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, at least as explicitly. But yeah, I, I think that Ron's identity crisis is much more fraught than any of the other <laughs> characters that we're seeing. Yes. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, why don't we head into our missed opportunities? Cool. What do you have? Mine is that I would like to see more done with Polyjuice Potion. Mm. Because this is... All the interesting things can be done with Polyjuice exactly. Potion. Uh, you know, it's a magical construct that makes you embody someone else Mm -hmm. be in their body in a way that is really profound 
and we mostly see it used as a gimmick or as a trick, as something that helps them get information or get access to something, but we don't really see it used in other ways. And I think that it could have been used more strongly in kind of two directions. One, to really provide more empathy for other people. Mm -hmm. uh, the closest yeah. that we get to that, I think, is is Ron as Reg Cattermole, who yeah. <laughs> has to like... A little too much empathy. Exactly. <laughs> he kind of has Ron, to Ron. live his life and, and you know, fix his, his office. And he does have he's identity He's worried about his, his wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he doesn't even remember who he is. <laughs> Um, which we don't see the same, I think, with, with Harry or Hermione in that yeah. instance. And we definitely don't see with Harry and Ron when they become Crabbe and Goyle. Mm -hmm. And so there, I think it would be awesome to see how Polyjuice Potion could be used, yeah, to, to foster empathy for other people. Or just the use of it can naturally foster that empathy because you're having such a profound experience. But yeah. I also think that it there leaves room narratively for almost the opposite idea which is that it is a violation of mm -hmm. someone else's personhood it is to live in their body in a way especially if they have not given any kind of consent is yeah it is so disruptive and it is so the kind of thing that i would think would be on the list of unforgivable actions i mean if love potion is not banned also should then... be yes yes but yeah, I think there should that... be strict regulations. Oh, well, maybe that that is one of the reasons it's so hard to make. Totally, but you can't steal from your teacher's <laughs> storage. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just I think that having more of a sense of violation in the actions that they do, or even of them grappling with the idea that they're violating other people's privacy and existence and, and identity in this way, particularly after the other six people become Harry during his ex his escape at the beginning of the seventh book mm -hmm. where he feels uncomfortable and, and at least in the movie I remember it's played for laughs like oh your vision's really terrible and mm -hmm. and you know they're all oh it's it's him wearing Floor's underwear and and things That's like that so funny yeah ha, 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 ha. and I know that if I, that was in my shoes i would be worried about like oh they're they can see any part of me they can see um they can feel yeah what it's like to live in my body in these different ways and and oh i'd be i'd be all for it for other people I'd be like yeah feel my aches and pains <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i i think that that polyjuice potion because it's dealing with this so explicitly with the taking of someone else's identity um i wish it would have more narrative weight and more of engagement with this theme yeah definitely the only time we see it used with consent is with barty crouch jr and his mom mm -hmm. to disastrous effects yes yes true uh, so yeah but what's your missed opportunity so mine is just that you know identities like gender race sexuality ability class you know all of these things significantly affect the way people move in the world and and their surroundings and and how they interact with people or how people treat them and so those type of identities just have a huge impact of, uh, on what people hope and fear and everything 
and I think that we lose that a lot in the books mm. on on most of those types of identities except class and I think maybe different magical species um, we see that somewhat but I wish that was there more what is in the, the intersectionality of those things you know what is it mean to be Cho Chang at Hogwarts in the 90s mm-hmm. and how does racialized fetishization impact her experiences there and what even are her races mm-hmm. oh, well I mean it could be race in a way that might not be ethnically competent mm-hmm. or multiple races and what does her being in the movies uh, the Dumbledore's army traitor imply mm-hmm. you know what these things matter but they're pretty much not dealt with at all and you know what about the Patils you know there's we're given a very small amount of information mm-hmm. but that's it and we don't understand how those things impact their lives or how others interact with them and I think that that should be there and I think it would make the books stronger books and it a stronger world and like you know we we've talked about in the past Dumbledore you know how does his sexuality impact him and his life or how other people would interact with him in, in any way yeah uh, would that have impacted how how much time he wanted to spend with certain you know with harry or certain male students because people can be accused of things and you know it just do the these things have to play a role in some way and and then if people don't know about it he might not want to be alone in a room with (laughs) girls right you know like it's just these things do play a role in how people operate in society um, and how safe people feel with different people or how much they can relate to different people, um, what they want from different people. And so... Um, is there a gay straight alliance on, at Hogwarts? <laughs> is there, you know, like... There should be since most of the characters seem to be queer. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. like, yeah, how does how does that impact coming out and, and ideas of pride and then all these other elements? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think these are all important questions and age you know mm-hmm. with Dumbledore he would have spent the majority of his life in a country that made his own sexual identity be criminalized yep. right so yeah how, how do these things interact um, and intersect in people's lived experiences that is a big missed opportunity to me yeah for for a queer wizard would you walking through Muggle London feel like you're doubly closeted, mm. where you have to hide mm-hmm. both of those identities in ways? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Well, I guess we should move on to our takeaways. What is yours? I think my takeaway is I'm thinking about how interesting it is that we had all of these conversations. We've been talking for this this length about identity, and we haven't talked about houses at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it shows how the houses, as a classification system, as a system of creating group identity and community and and things like that, is not nearly as compelling as the rest of this narrative. 
as Mm -hmm. what's going on with these characters and what's happening with them, Um, which is, I think, good indication that sticking so closely to the houses for the ways characters interact is itself uh, a problem with the narrative and the way the world building of the, the story because it could be but it also could not be right Griff- godric gryffindor created the sorting hat to solve disputes between the four founders mm-hmm. and so this wasn't the way it was naturally done mm. like this this wasn't just how things happen, how people are, you know, and how personalities tidally go into four categories, you know. <laughs> it came they out of this specific this, interaction. That's yeah, interesting, yeah. To mitigate arguments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just think that that the juiciest <laughs> You issues... love the word juicy. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Gross. I don't want to hear about your juicy the issues. Juiciest things that come from this, uh, this theme... I think come from the narrative and the characters and those are especially interesting when they are not clear cut in a way that the houses can often tend to be. Yeah, definitely. What's your takeaway? Yeah, I think my takeaway is that I think it's really interesting that we often do have such distinct characters in Harry Potter so that you just you can compare all sorts of things to Hermione or Harry or Ron or you know McGonagall, whatever it is, because they're written with distinct traits and stuff. Mm. But at the same time, there's a lot that we don't know about their identities and who they are because to some degree, most of them are still kids. Mm-hmm. Even at the end of the books like their brains are still developing and they constantly have to have new things incorporated because of what they've been through because of what they've seen because of what they've done and so i think it's interesting also that some of the adults who should theoretically have their identities and personality a little more solidified like not to say that those can't change, but that oftentimes there's some amount of distance there between mm-hmm. what we know about them versus who they would actually be in a full, well-rounded personhood. And some of it, I think, has to do with, yeah, identities that were probably hindered in some ways, like Hagrid, mm-hmm. because of being expelled because of being distrusted because of being labeled in certain ways and someone like Snape like we were talking about because he's constantly on both sides of this thing um nobody knows everything and so yeah I just think it's interesting that you have such distinct characters while still there being so many questions about how characters would actually see themselves and and who they really are yeah Okay, well, can you bring up what we'll be discussing next week? Yeah, so we are going to be returning to The Hunger Games and Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and we are going to be looking through those series through the theme of class. Okay, class and The Hunger Games. Sounds juicy. Gross. (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description if you want to send us your thoughts on today's episode or anything that you've got on your mind. 
You can also join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines if you want to become one of our supporters. That would get you access to all sorts of extra fun content, as well as help us to keep the show sustainable. Another way you can help us is by leaving us a five-star rating on your podcatcher of choice, particularly Apple Podcasts. It would be a huge help in helping us to find new listeners, so please go out and do that if you haven't yet. And tell your nerdy friends about us. Or your non-nerd friends. They probably could use some nerd nerding up. That's true. And it's not like a lot of these things are that nerdy anymore. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we also want to thank Kimberly Taylor Prestel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out. out.